Welcome to the Scarleteers podcast, where we talk about our favorite show, Miss Scarlet and the Duke. Welcome back, Scarleteers, to the podcast. Yay! I'm Amanda. And I'm Lindsay. And we have a very special guest today. We have director Steve Hughes. Welcome, Steve. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining Uh, us. Yeah, we are really excited. Um, Steve has directed episodes one through three of season two of Miss Scarlet and the Duke. So we are very excited to have you here to talk and give us all sorts of details of what it was for season two, episodes one through three. But I'm going to introduce you a little bit more. Um, Steve has directed the show or directed episodes of the show Doctors and Pandora, also Two episodes of Doctor Who, as well as episodes of Land Girls, Evermore, Midsummer Murders, Creeped Out, and Casualty. He has also written screenplays and short movies. He has also won numerous awards, such as Best Continuing Drama for the RTS Awards twice, and BAFTA Awards and Broadcasting Awards. So we are very, very, very excited to have such an esteemed guest with Steve Hughes. So, welcome, Yay. Steve. Thank you very much. It, it just sounds good when you can say you're an award-winning director. It just sounds great. Yes, <laughs> yes. Very esteemed award-winning director. So, it seems that you've had a very busy and prolific career already in your life. Was directing always the career you were aiming for, or did you just kind of stumble upon it? Um, I mean, I always wanted to be uh, a director. Um, I, I know, I'm just a huge film fan and drama fan. I, I kind of I just inhale watching kind of material ever since I was a kid. I'm just obsessive. One of those kids who my mum would always say, don't sit too close to the TV because I would just watch everything and just analyze everything. But, you know, I came, I came from in the north of England, um, you know, a place called Wigan, which is sort of not far between Manchester and Liverpool. And, and in, you know, when I was growing up in the eighties, you know, we, I never thought I would ever get to work in TV. I thought that's what other people would do. So I, um, I was always quite good at drawing and, uh, I, ne- I always thought I'll just be a film fan. I'll never get to make my own things. But then um, I went to a kind of a local college to do um, a, um, a, a diploma in graphic design and art. And we would make uh, short films in our spare time. And I thought, well, why don't I just go for it? Why don't I try and do a higher course to learn? And I did a, t- a TV production course up in the northeast um, where I won a, a Royal Television Society Award for Best Student Production um, and made some really exciting things. I thought have a bit more confidence in yourself you know let's keep going and then I moved down to London I knew I wasn't going to get a job in TV straight away so I um, I did a lot of editing on the course so it was my day job being an editor I worked for uh, the BBC I um, worked uh, I got sent out to do interviews with people like Al Pacino and Hugh Jackman and all this kind of stuff it was great to have this sort of career sort of interviewing uh, celebrities which was really fun wow. um, and then I was making short films on my spare time and then I got a, an opportunity to direct uh, Doctors, which is the afternoon drama here in the UK. This is back in about 2005, 2004. Um, and I left my staff job and um, I've never looked back. Wow. I love I love the, 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 the first part of your career, interviewing other people and, and other actors. That must have been really cool. Oh, it's, it was it was amazing because I used to, uh, when I would work, um, I was um, working for BBC News and there was an entertainment show called Liquid News, which was a... Um, it was on BBC Three, and it was a uh, it was all about celebrities, and it was a very honest show. You would never really get it these days because the PR people used to go nuts because we would be really honest. <laughs> um, and um, I used to, because um, of being a huge film fan, I would uh, sort of brief the uh, journalists uh, good stuff that they could speak to celebrities about. So eventually, they started sending me out to do press junkets and things. Um, and I always have a I've got a brilliant uh, you know loads of things went wrong like I. I burped in John Travolta's face and uh, oh I, uh, loads of uh, maybe like it's, it's, you, you could fill a podcast with my kind of silly stories. Um, but, um, it was, it was great, you know, just being a film fan, you know, you, you didn't just ask them the obvious questions, you asked them something a bit more interesting, but yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, you know, and just to be that close to, to, you know, people you'd admire was, was always brilliant. So obviously you being a big film fan and everything, um, is there like a certain type of film or show or genre that you really enjoy and, and that kind of really inspires you and makes you think, do you know what, that's the style that I like? 
Well, I mean, anyone who knows me knows that I'm a, like a huge Spielberg fan. I mean, a really obsessive, crazy, you know, like, um, Jaws is my favorite film. And whenever I'm, whatever I'm directing, I always sneak some kind of reference into Jaws or, um, you know, or, or Spielbergian kind of, uh, type of shots. A lot of people might, might not spot them, but for me, you know, I, I will do it deliberately. Like, um, uh, so, you know, I, I would introduce characters like, um, like Indiana Jones and, you know, hide people's faces and that kind of stuff at the start. That's why we, you know, we hit uh, Kate's face at the start. Um, when she comes in, it was sort of try and give it a, quite an iconic opening. But yeah, I'm very, I, I like, um, I'm a big Spielberg fan. I love, um, also like people like Paul Greengrass, who directed the Bourne movies, um, United 93 and, uh, David Fincher and, and, um, um, the Coen brothers, you know, I, I love most types of films. It's, it's really important to have a wide variety of tastes, but, you know, I, I, I watch a lot of TV as well. Um, you know, like watching, um, I like some comedy as well. Um, I've not done a lot of comedy before, which, which I'd like to do a little bit of. But, um, yeah, I suppose coming from a, a technical background, um, my, my way in was, uh, my first approach whenever I'm working on things is that I come from like the visuals. And then, you know, I've, I didn't know what I was doing with actors for a long time. And then eventually I've got to, to work with them. And, you know, I um, make sure that I have a very happy environment when I'm shooting. Um, so that actors feel they're in a safe environment. So, uh, but yeah, b- big Spielberg fan, uh, big film fan. And, uh, you know, th- I'm still feel very lucky to do what I'm doing. So when you're looking for your next project to work on, what is that magic thing that you're looking for that will pull you in? And for me, I mean, um, the, the if, if you want the official answer, it's, you know, it's kind of scripts and, you know, something that's just, I, I do like to do things I haven't done before. Um, but there is also, you know, a business side to this job where, you know, a, a lot of the time, you know, you need to take a job. You know, I've, I've had to do jobs before, which, you know, may not have been the kind of jobs I'd like to do, but I still give it 100 percent because, you know, you want to be proud of what you do. But um, I love it when I get the opportunity to read a script before I am offered a job um, so I can weigh up whether or not it's something I really want to do. But when I read um, when I watched um, the first series of Miss Garland, I just was blown away by uh, Rachel Scripps and uh, what Declan had done on the first series. And I watched it first with my wife. And then when the opportunity came along, um, I, of course, I jumped at the chance. So speaking of Declan, obviously taking over from him, he's laid a lot of groundwork and you've got a lot to work with with season one in terms of the visuals and, and the look and feel. Did he? How did it feel kind of filling his shoes and, and did he give you any advice? Because you, you two are friends, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, we're sort of, um, um, we've, we've never worked, we've, we've kind of crossed paths and, uh, um, we, we've sort of know each other from social media and that kind of stuff. And we don't know each other that well, but we, we check in every couple of months. Um, and he's always very supportive of me and I'm, I'm there to sort of be, um, you know, supportive for him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was Declan who suggested me for the job, um, which was amazing because, um, you know, he's, he likes my stuff and I like his stuff. We've got, you know, very, uh, we're both big film fans. And, um, he suggested to, to Rachel and to, to Patty and Jean, uh, and the producers, you know, that I could be a good fit. And I had, um, a, a good meeting. It went well. But yeah, Declan just, of course, I grilled him about all the stuff that I needed to know about the show, um, and stuff, you know, that, um, what he did. And, you know, he wasn't precious. You know, he didn't say, you know, don't change anything or, you know, he, you know, he said, it, it, the show's yours now for this year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do with it what you want. So, you know, you want to, you want it to be the same show. But, you know, I was trying to sort of um, uh, expand, expand the universe and, and make it maybe a little bit grander. But, um, yeah, I wanted, still wanted it to feel like the same show. Yeah. And did it help having, like, all the backlot and everything? Did that kind of help make you make it feel oh, yeah. more different? Yeah, well, I mean, what was different, obviously, with the first series was they, uh, when they shot the first series in, in Ireland, um, they had a pre-existing backlot that had been built for them, and they obviously build on it and change things, and then they went to different locations around the city. Um, but we, when we turned up in, um, in Serbia, um, in it was like May, I think it was, um, I mean, there was, there was literally nothing built and there was like an, uh, there was like a, an empty, um, uh, studio. It was like just four walls and, uh, lots of bird poo everywhere. And we, <laughs> yeah, um, and, and it's hard to believe that like within like three months from that, we would be shooting in there, but we did because, uh, you know, there's so many great things to talk about the Serbian crews, but one of the, the main ones is that they're so hard working and they got that studio up, uh, lightning fast, um, and then, um, you know, the back lot was built. I mean, the paint wasn't dry when we were shooting because it was literally, you know, can you point the camera this way first? Cause they're still, you know, painting the side of the set. 
Um, but the, uh, the team in Serbia, uh, Yoks are the designer and Lana, uh, and the whole art department, um, they were just so skilled and professional and they really, they were really invested in trying to make it feel, um, bigger and better than the first series. And, you know, we, we joke about there's a room in, um, on the set, which was originally, um, uh, which we call like the generic room and it's about 20 different rooms. Um, it's like it's, it, whenever there's a room that people go to, like a bed sit or an office or whatever, it's the same room, but they, they dress it, change the walls, and it's amazing how fast they do it. And like um, um, the, the room that uh, uh, Duke stays over in, I won't mention mm-hmm. she, she Who Shall Not Be Named. Room, but that, that, that's the same room we don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, no, she's yeah. Um, uh, that, la- that lady actually read for Clem- Clementine originally, um, was one of the people who read for Clementine, because it was a very, it was a slightly different character originally, but then, uh, and I'm duck- jumping all over the place here, but then Laura came in, Laura Rollins, and did like a- an amazing job, so, um, but yeah, it's, it's such an amazing kind of place, um, and, uh, yeah, just, it was, it was fun to have this kind of huge set where you could look almost 360 degrees, because we had to use a bit of, uh, green screen to extend the set sometimes, but um, to have such a kind of big um, a train set to play with is always exciting. So you were in Belgrade for a while before filming began. What sort of pre-filming preparation did you have to do, and did that include washing off bird poo off a of thing? <laughs> yeah, it, it was very uh, – I mean, it, it was sort of um, – it was good to be involved early because, like, there was things that, you know, we wanted the, the sets to feel, you know, look exactly the same, but then there was things that we could do to sort of – to extend sets a little bit more and, uh, you know, where they had to cheat walking around a corner to go into another room, we could change those and, and, um, you know, working with Rachel and Patty and the team, we made it feel, um, like much more three dimensional, um, cause we, it was literally built to order. But yeah, we, we would literally do things like, um, it, it was like casting started quite early for the guest parts. Um, normally when, when a director starts on a job, you, you know, you have three periods on a job you have. Uh, the prep, uh, the shoot, and post. And we had a sort of slightly longer prep time um, on the first series because the sets were still being built. Um, and I had um, an amazing first AD called Marco, who was a local guy who's only kind of quite young, but is, is like one of the best first ADs I've ever worked with. And because he knew all of the crew, and the whole crew was Serbian apart from uh, Matt, who was my DP on series two. Um, um, so they all knew each other really well, and their English was great made to feel really uh, at home and they uh what they we would just literally kind of built it from the, the ground up and we would we had to schedule which sets were going to be ready first and um it was all a bit kind of last minute but um hopefully on screen people wouldn't know it's too much it looked perfect on screen to me yeah <laughs> thank you um, so i've heard that a director is usually the first one on set and the last to leave is that true? And, and what's like a normal on day on set for you? Um, I mean, I suppose earlier on in your career, you know, you when you're sort of getting um, your skills and confidence, then, yeah, of course, you're going to be there first and leave last and that kind of stuff. But I mean, I've, I'm, you know, I've been doing this for almost 20 years now and not that I'm laid back about it, but, you know, um, there's nothing that re- people don't really kind of start to walk onto the set until like eight o'clock. So normally I would get picked up. At about um, quarter past seven, um, taken to the uh, the sound stages, the studios in Serbia, um, in, in Sofia. Sorry, um, not Sofia. Where was I again? Belgrade. <laughs> 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 I've, shot, I've shot all of Eastern Europe. Um, um, I would get picked up in the morning, get taken to the the, the studios, and um, go and get some breakfast quickly, and then catch up with a few of the department heads and get get onto the stage about sort of ten to eight, quarter to eight. Um, walk around the sets with the DP and just sort of give a quick heads up about where we were going to be and that, you know, we're going to need a bit more time in this room and I want to be off here by the certain time. Um, and then eight o'clock, you know, we start to, you know, we get the actors on set and then we just, we shoot until about one o'clock. We have an hour's lunch. Um, and then you wrap about, um, uh, seven o'clock at night. I mean, obviously sometimes if you need nighttime scenes, then you might start a little bit later in the day, but we had this kind of amazing kind of heat wave over the summer. Um, it was so hot and uh, the poor actors were wearing all these kind of heavy woolen outfits and three different layers. And we were sweltering in, in like just T-shirts and shorts. And, and these poor guys, I mean, you know, you can see some of them look a little bit flushed sometimes. It's so hot. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's a sort of a, it's a busy day. And, uh, you know, we would normally shoot on an average day about, say, 
six or seven minutes worth of screen time. So by the time, um, you know, we would do a bunch of angles for a scene, whatever's needed, um, there's always time constraints on every single job. Um, um, and this one was a, was sort of a decent amount of time to shoot. So, um, you know, we would have, if we had a sort of a two minute scene, if it felt like it needed like lots of angles, we might shoot five or six different angles. We would have two cameras all the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a sort of a, a really enjoyable shoot. You know, the, the whole thing, everyone felt that we were pushing in the same direction. Is it a lot of timekeeping as well, making things sure that you don't kind of overrun? Oh, yeah. Well, your first assistant director uh, Norm, is, is there to keep you on track. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I think I'm pretty good at keeping on time. Like, um, you know, normally what you would do when you're in prep is that, you know, say we have nine scenes in a day, um, then we'd work out, you know, that might be about seven kind of pages of script a day. And then we'd work through and we'd say, well, this first scene I can do as a one so it's just them walking down the corridor. So we'll do that on the steady cam, And then we would kind of go around all the corridors and I only want to do that in one shot. So we know we can save a bit of time there to, sit, to use that time for when we do it, might be doing something really emotional or something that's a bit more action based that requires a bit more coverage. But we try and, I always try and solve any problems before you actually get on set. Um, and even though I'm very like massively open to, uh, letting letting actors be involved in the blocking and that kind of stuff. I I am still sort of keeping quite a close eye on the time and that's working with the first AD. You don't want to get too far adrift, otherwise, um, you know, there's a, there's a story that you say it's um, it's um, you know, um, I mean, the, I, I think Americans might not get this, but it's it's um, Hollywood in the morning and Hollyoaks in the afternoon, or uh, <laughs> um, it's 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 like you know, some, a lot of directors take uh, too much time in the morning and we're all guilty of it, but. Um, I'd always rather stay in third gear throughout the whole day rather than be in first gear and start uh, start the day in fifth gear at the end of the day where everything's a rush um, because there's nothing worse than usually what happens is you're doing the most emotional scene at the end of the day and you don't want to have to say to an actor well you've got ten minutes to shoot the scene where your child's just died because it's, it's like it's how how are you supposed to sort of do that so I always try and uh, head any problems off before we actually get there because um, yeah it's it, you can solve it in advance easily. So how do you plan out filming a scene? Well, usually, I mean, with kind of confidence and over the years, you know, I, I, um, I used to, when I started out on Doctors years ago, I would do like what we call like a kind of camera plans. Like you get a, a, um, a map of the set, a floor plan, and you would work out where the shots are going to be and how many shots it's going to be. But, you know, over time you start to work out, well, I know how long things are going to take and um, how many angles I need to tell the story and being an editor, is a really uh, massively important and helpful skill because, um, as I said, there's never really enough time, but you know when to how to cover a scene efficiently um, and still make it look good when you haven't got lots and lots of time. So you would then just go through and work out how many, you know, I would speak to Marco, my first AD, and we would say, you've got 90 minutes on this. And generally, each shot takes roughly about 20 minutes uh, by the t- on average by the time you set it up. So uh, by the time you've rehearsed it and shown it to the crew, that's probably time for three or four setups. Um, and then, you know, I might sometimes borrow a bit of time. I might say, well, there's another shot I really want to get here or, you know, I'm not quite there with the performances yet. Um, and I'll, I'll save that and I'll simplify something a bit later. Um, and then, you know, if you're in the same location like the soundstage, you can, not that it's great, but you can obviously drop a scene and pick it up on another day. But it always means then that other day is going to be even busier. So it's always important if you can to try and finish your day, because otherwise something else is going to get rushed later, further down the line. So one of the things which has always kind of fascinated me, and, and if you've ever if you ever see any of the Scarleteer discussions and things, we're always when when Rachel's like posted a behind the scenes shot, or you have uh, kindly kind of shared something on social media, we've always been, oh, is that what episode is that from? Where's that from? And it's always kind of kind of made us think, you know, how do you film? Because you don't film in order or anything. And no. and we weren't quite sure, like, we'd, we'd see something and it would go, now, is that going to be episode two or three? So do you kind of, is it flexible in terms of based on actor availability or actually we're going to shoot this scene from episode one and this scene from episode three and things like that? How, how does that kind of work? I mean, I mean, a lot of it is really down to actors availability because a lot of your main cast are there all the time. But if you have, like, a guest um, actor... They obviously want to keep them in um, on the sets or in the country for the shortest amount of time. So, like all of the scenes of say Clementine would be shot in one group of um, in a couple of days, rather than doing shooting everything episodically. Like on some shows, you know, you would shoot all of episode one, then you would do all of episode two. And there was even talk at one stage of 
you know, just trying to be clever because we were still sort of in, you know, um, pandemic time was that, um, in the middle of it was that, is it better that we keep all of the actors from that cast together and shoot all of that episode out? But it just, there's just so many other things, factors about locations and getting sets ready and things like that. So, um, generally on most shows, yeah, you, you, it's the, the schedule is based around actors availability. Um, so on some days you might be filming across all three episodes. Um, but it doesn't happen that often. Um, and generally what you would do is you would schedule those scenes. Um, story-wise in the day. So, you know, you would do episode, you would do scene one and then you would do scene five and then scene seven rather than doing them all over the place. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is based on actors' availability. Does that make editing it more difficult when it's kind of all over the place like that? And continuity? No, because, no, because obviously what we, sh- what we shoot um, is, you know, we shoot all of the scenes um, and then an editor puts them all together. They, they basically would assemble the scene, um, um, say, like the, say the opening scene of, um, of episode one where Eliza goes to the, the club. That was shot pretty early on. It was like day three or four. Um, but, and then what the editor does is he, um, uh, amazing editor called Owen, who um, the, the editor always assembles um, what you shoot. Say if we shot that scene on the Tuesday morning, he would be editing that on the Wednesday. So it was a day behind. By the time they get the rushes, um, and then they, they edit all the scenes, and they're almost like standalone little islands, and then you put them all together and make this brilliant country. So it doesn't matter whether you do them all out of order. You know, as long as in the edit, mm-hmm. they all come together. Um, and, you know, it's it's nice to think about transitions and how you get from one scene to another. Um, you know, being an editor, it's, it's really helpful to, to, to get into all that kind of stuff. Um, like we did, I, I came up with the stuff about um, when Fitzroy uh, gets found at the opium den and that Duke had him up against the wall and then he kind of drags him off and then we, we put his head in the bucket it, so it looked like it was one continuous move and we shot those over several weeks um, with a big gap. But, you know, I knew that that was the transition I was going to have and, you know, spoke to Rachel about it and, you know, we like the idea of having some kind of cool transitions without it being kind of too gimmicky. Uh, mm-hmm. But a few times we try to do that, and I think it really helps. Cool. What was it like working with Rachel and her team, and how much did you work with Rachel in trying to capture the feelings and emotions that she was trying to convey in her writing? Well, I mean, Rachel was just like, I mean, just like, like amazing to work with. As everyone says, and it's true, you know, um, we, we bonded really well after our first phone call, and we kept in contact, and we went out there and did a recce. And, um, you know, I found out that Aliens is one of her favorite films, one of my favorite films, mm-hmm. and we both love, um, Moonlighting and When Harry, Harry, Harry Met Sally. Um, and, you know, she's, she's just cool and smart and, you know, she's the oracle to, you know, she knows everything and she's, she's got no ego about it. She's just really, you know, um, a, a great person to work with. Um, and then we would sit down and we, we did like a page turn where we talked about the scripts and make sure we're on the same page. But, you know, Rachel really wants to be there when you're shooting scenes. Um, and I, really value that because you know know, it's Rachel's words I want to make sure that I'm doing them justice and that I haven't missed any of the subtleties because you know um I've got no ego about that kind of stuff so there'd be times when Rachel would say uh oh there's a reference here or um that feels like we need more humor out of it or something so a lot of the time she would she would come down and watch a rehearsal and then she'd run back up to the office and be writing one of the other episodes and then come back down again but you know there was there was trust there you know and then we would catch up at the end of the day and if I ever had any concerns or anything I was worried about, then um, I would check in with her. And then Patty is is like the, so cool as well, you know, to have around because, you know, she's just so kind of L.A. and professional and laid back. And we would, you know, not that it ever got particularly stressful, but like we would go out and start throwing the Frisbee around. And um, it was just mm-hmm. we sat outside and throw the Frisbee and it just diffused any kind of, uh, you know, tension that might have been start to kind of grow with, you know, how are we going to get all of the shot in the amount of time we have? And, you know, the whole team there was great. And Patrick and Jean and Harvey, the whole team just would send me messages, say that they're, they're thrilled with what we were shooting. And, you know, you, when you're starting off on a journey like that, you know, you want to you want everyone to be happy with what you're getting. So just they they let me know that I was on the right course. And um, and yeah, it, 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 they're such a great team to work with. So do you have a favorite Miss Scarlet and the Duke character? Or if you don't, if you could swap places with an actor and play one of the characters, which one would you choose? Well, I'd probably have to go for the Duke. Not that I'm anything like the Duke. I'm probably much more like Fitzroy. Um, <laughs> I'm being a bit of a nerd. Um, but I just, you know, again, with my film references, he, to me, he's a bit like Indiana Jones. And, that, you know, I try to sort of, you know, frame him in doorways and sort of. And what's great about. The Duke and with like Indiana Jones, they're on, on the outside of these kind of like amazing kind of heroes, but they're both they're, they're kind of flawed and they're 
the um, you know they make mistakes and um, they're grounded and you know and I just love the way that Stuart played him. You know he's such a uh, an amazing kind of collaborator and you know we really bonded on the shoot and um, you know we you know had complete trust and you know he's that's who I would like to be. I, that's who I would, if, you know, I live uh, vicariously through the Duke, you know, I'd sort of say that this is the way I'd, I'd like to be able to sort of be, you know, um, do what he does. But uh, yeah, I suppose the Duke. So what kind of advice do you give actors? Like when you approach them, what kind of advice or suggestions do you give them with direction? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a very, um, I try and create a really safe space for actors. Um, you know, I, I, I like to let the actors act. You know, I, of course, I'm involved in the discussions and we'll, we'll talk about things, but, you know, I'd always rather let them, let them, you know, put on a show first and I will watch it, um, and, you know, see if it tallies up with mine. I mean, we'll talk about what the scene's about and this is, this is where we're going and this is the, the scene in the episode where this happens, but, you know, I like to give the actors freedom to move. You know, I, I don't very rarely ever say, could you sit here? Could you stand here? It's like, you know, here's the space, you know, and sometimes we might make some small adjustments just to make the shot look even prettier um, or for technical reasons. But I'm there to support them and make them feel like they can take chances and and, and just to play and have fun, you know, because um, at the end of the day, that's what they're doing. You know, it's we're, we're all lucky to be doing this and they should be able to play. And it's I like to keep that innocence and sweetness to it, but and also to protect them as well, like I said, from... Uh, from rushing too much, um, you know, wherever, wherever I can. But yeah, I'm, I'm there to sort of, for a little suggestion here or there, whenever I give a note, it's, you know, you don't, you never want to overload an actor with lots of notes. You want to go in and sort of say, let's tighten this up a little bit, or that might be getting a bit too much, or why don't you try this? This could be really funny. Um, and, you know, when you work with kind of really great actors, you know, if you cast the right actors, you don't have to do a lot of the work. You know, they come on and they do it and you say, great, happy with that, moving on. Oh, that sounds great. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about the end of episode one cinematography wise it's it's amazing it's very you know the the lighting is is in some ways in the drawing room is very warm and you know it is about to kind of rip our hearts out and I'm sure I speak for many of the Scarleteers where we're kind of screaming at the telly and kind of going no (laughs) so close so close um and obviously the, that beautiful, beautiful shot of, of uh, Stuart kind of walking out at the end. And, you know, how, how did that kind of play out for you? And, and how did you kind of work that scene or those scenes? Because technically it's two, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so when, when, when I read that script, I mean, you know, I, I was a fan of the show as well. I mean, I was screaming when I was reading it because, but it obviously being completely separate from that as a director, I thought, well, that's, going to get a response to that scene and um you know the the scene before that in the drawing room is, is obviously <laughs> heartbreaking and painful and they get so close and we wanted to sort of eke out as much as we can so that you would be you know they wouldn't be saying anything and hopefully people would be screaming at the screens and then um we, we shot the main part of that scene and the part with kate on one day and then we ran out of time that day so we we came back and did the stewart's half of it uh, i think it was the next day or the day after um and um Matt's my DP, my amazing DP, a brilliant friend. He just, I remember looking at the monitor and just thinking, I mean, I, I think that's one of my favorite shots I've ever shot. And it just, it was so, um, um, stylish and beautiful. And, you know, the, just the, the mood of everything just seemed to work really, really well. And we showed it to Stuart. Stuart was all giddy, like a bit, you know, he was, he was all kind of, um, super happy and taking pictures of the monitor because, you know, even though he's this kind of big tough guy, he's the sweetest guy as well. You know, he, he's, he's so good. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that was, that was such a kind of a, it was important to get the tone right. When we, when we first came onto the set, even before we'd shot anything, we shot a version of that scene, um, as a sort of test scene, just to see what the costumes would look like and everything. And, and it was all, you know, whole, reaching out to the door and that kind of stuff. And, and I kind of really over egged it. I mean, it was really, you know, he had his head against the door and, and Kate was like, had her back against the door and it was all, you know, way too much. And, uh, and I think there was a bit of fear of like, you're not going to shoot it like that, are you? And it was just a sort of, we wanted to shoot anything. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I just wanted to be, it to be, you know, restrained because, you know, these people um, at this time, you know, there's so much restraint, you know, they, they, um, you know, they, they never said what they felt really. There's a sort of a, a veil that's in front of everybody um, and that they couldn't get past that. And if either one of them had just made that little leap, then it would, would have been a very different series. But, you know, there's a long way to go on their story, I believe. 
So filming in Belgrade, was there any limitations or things that you had to avoid in making it seem like Victorian London instead of sunny and warm Serbia? Yeah, well, uh, when we first shot on the uh, the backlot in the heat of the summer, the, um, the slum streets, as we called it, looked like it was uh, a, a, you know a, a cowboy uh, kind of western kind of street because people were yeah. wearing hats and mows and everything. You know, there's only a certain amount you can kind of shield that light from coming down, so it looked very, very uh, like it was like in the wild west sometimes. Um, and Serbia is amazing, but it, well, it, um, it has so much to offer. But one of the things it doesn't have a lot of is like Victorian or, or anything that would sort of resemble that kind of period. Funnily enough, in Series 3, we, we sort of found some pockets of the city that we haven't used on Series 2 and um, some amazing locations in Series 3 um, that hopefully um, the, the fans will, will like. But, yeah, we, we, it's, you know, we only had a couple of streets, um, and it was our job to either use a little bit of VFX or just to be clever on how we shot things to try and make it feel different. Um, you know, it's um, it's such an amazing city, Belgrade, but... It's it's not uh you know there's lots of kind of war torn buildings and bullet holes and things everywhere and you know when I first got off the plane I was a little bit intimidated and remember thinking you know I could film a Bourne Identity movie here but like is it, are we going to be able to do kind of Victoria in London but you know we really did um and because the back lot was so uh, amazing we would keep making um, uh, little adjustments to it and changing things and hopefully people don't notice too much but we we shot every inch of that back lot and tried to make it feel like it had different locations and you know and then going on further down the line obviously you know we still have to keep doing that because we don't have an infinite number of locations to use so um yeah it, it had limitations but um the good far outweighed the bad and what we had um, to offer i say it works definitely <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and i'd never know that you've used the same room multiple times no, nope. that's amazing. Great job to the, the set the dresses. Oh yeah, um, it's, it's it's it's. I mean, the the team was so um, like um, uh, enthusiastic on every step of the way, especially the the art department. And that, like I said, um, I might try and do a. I might send you a a, a link um, uh, if you're interested. The generic room, how many rooms that was? It was about, I'd say, even in my episode, it was about twenty five different rooms, something ridiculous. Oh wow! And you would never believe all of the rooms where it was. It was just you know it. And, and, you know, they changed the windows around and, um, you know, the, uh, the room where, um, the lady who gets killed, killed the first episode, is it Jane? What's her, what's her name again? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh. so, w- the room I know people... it was Rose Boyle was the actress, but yes, I can't right. remember what her surname is. So that, that room became like, um, like t- all these different rooms throughout the whole series and, and c- continued into series three as well. And, you know, it never looks the same. Um, you know, it was like having, um, you know, another kind of 20 different rooms. Um, and sometimes they would make it larger and we would change the shape of the ceiling. And it was just, you know, I can't say enough good things about the art departments. They were so great. And you've mentioned uh, the director of photography, Matt North, but what, how was your relationship and, and how does, as a director and a director of photography, how, how does that relationship work on set? Well, I've worked with Matt on and off for about three or four years now. And, you know, we've worked mostly on casualty together. Um, and, you know, he, again, he's a big film fan like I am. And, you know, we, you know, we, we've become really close mates as well. So, um, when, um, I was lucky enough to be given the opportunity to direct series, uh, to, um, and I was asked about who, who I'd like for my DP, then of course I put Matt forward and, you know, his, his work is beautiful. And that I think because, um, he hasn't had a lot of opportunity to, to do this kind of stuff. Um, he, he really kind of, um, you know, we really kind of try to lean on the visuals and, you know, we, we would look at, um, screenshots from different movies and you know um what we wanted the lighting to be like and um how we want how much we wanted to move the camera like um i had this idea about um uh, that i wanted i wanted um eliza's world to be very uh beautiful and austere and clean um so everything on that was shot on a tripod and there's not lots of camera movement and then on jute's world because he's a bit more rough and ready, um, you know, everything's handheld. So if you look in, whenever you're in um, uh, Scotland Yard, everything's handheld. So that you walk, you know, everything's a bit more messy and dirty. And then what I was trying to do with that was that when Eliza was in Duke's world, it was still handheld. So she felt sort of slightly out of place. And when he was in her world, he'd feel slightly out of place because they, they do kind of exist in two very different kind of uh, spaces. And uh, we talked about that um, and... Um, yeah, just just trying to find the best way to shoot it, and it, 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 there's there's just a lot of common sense, and just trying to vary your shots, and you know, um, uh, Matt would just you know come up with the most beautiful lighting, and he had a, a great team over there in Serbia, you know, with 
Um, you know, and we haven't worked with any of them before, but they were so good. Our camera operators and everything were just, you know, first class. And but yeah, Matt and I, you know, really enjoyed working on the show, and it just, I'm really proud with how it looks. So, do you have a favorite Miss Scarlet and Duke scene or location to film in, and why is that? Oh, what's the what's, what's the best? I mean. On a, on a sort of a, a playful kind of scale, I love all the scenes in Duke's office because there's just a lot of, it's very kind of free and fun and light. And, you know, I, we would give, uh, I give um, Stuart and Kate a lot of um, room just to play in there and just, you know, let them block it themselves. But I, I did really like um, Eliza's um, office. I just thought it just looked beautiful. It's, it's not it's not the biggest space to shoot in, but just it's got all these kind of amazing textures and it's normally where the plot sort of starts. And, uh, we've, you know, it's just just a, a beautiful place to kind of shoot in. And you, know, you can shoot 360 degrees there. What we didn't have on uh, Series 2, which they had in Series 1, was that I think the, the office that they shot in Series 1 was at the top of stairs on a building, on a real building. And this obviously we were on the ground floor. So we, that's why there's no shots of anyone going up the stairs. But it also meant that the crew didn't have to lug up, uh, you know, seven flights of stairs, all the heavy equipment. Um, so there's, there's pluses yeah. and minuses. But, um, I, you know, all the sets were great. I mean, and the back lot was great as well. And it was great to catch some scale. Like the few times when we had a, a crane and the steady cam to get the kind of camera moving down there, you'd spoil for choice. It, it's, 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 a, it's a rubbish answer, but it, and all of the sets were great to shoot on. Which scene was the most challenging to shoot? What was the most challenging? Um, it's a tough one, really. I mean, all, all of this, it, it was a surprisingly kind of smooth shoot, really. There was nothing really, I think that the scene at the end of episode one was important, was, was, was challenging in that, mm-hmm. let's get the tone right for it. And we all knew that it was, uh, gonna, you know, kick this series into a, like a, a different gear. So we wanted to treat it properly and do it, do it, you know, give it just uh, the, the amount of time that it needed. So yeah, that was probably the most challenging, but it's also probably my favorite scene that we shot. Okay. Do you have a funny behind-the-scenes moment you can share with us? What's a funny behind-the-scenes moment I can share? Um, I mean, you've heard all about Stuart's bananas in the drawers and that kind of stuff. <laughs> he, he must eat 20 bananas a day. It was, and you'd literally kind of you'd, you'd, you'd look for a prop and the, you'd open a drawer up and there's bananas absolutely everywhere. Uh, uh, what's another funny thing that happened? I mean, we, we, it was... It was something that... It's, it, it's not really a filming-related one, but it was very funny for me was when we... When we first got there, and I was a little bit anxious of the area where I was staying in, and I said to my first AD, you know, like, is is it safe where we're shooting here? And and he said, oh, where are you staying? And I said, oh, you know, this street, just off the high street. And he said, oh, no, it's very safe there. He said, that's where all the drug dealers live. And I said, oh. <laughs> and, um, and I said, so is it going to be safe there? And he said, yeah, yeah. Um, um, they mostly shoot each other. And I said, really? <laughs> and I said, is anyone going to be shooting at me? And he said, no, no, sometimes there are car bombs. And obviously, he was completely winding me up, and I <laughs> Uh, into, uh, into into following that, but um, yeah, it was it was very funny. I mean, I'll tell you one that was was very funny. Um, I hope he doesn't mind me telling this one. But um, uh, lovely Evan, uh, who plays Fitzroy, we had a day where he, I think he just eaten a bad pizza, and he was as literally as white as a ghost. And you remember the scene where uh, I think it's in episode three where he's guarding Eliza in the carriage outside, and he's not allowed to speak to her and that kind of stuff. He he was. He, he, was, he could barely stand. He was so sick, and we had to shoot all, uh, Kate's shots without him um, and um, shoot all of his stuff afterwards. And he, he could barely stand, and then we had to get him to stand in, like, uh, you know, horse poo, you know, which was actually just, oh. like, like, chocolate and straw and stuff like that. Um, um, but, yeah, the poor guy, he was, like, as sick as a dog, but, he, you know, he, he turned up, and I think we were actually joking about we were going to have to, you know, digitally put some colour into his face because he was so sick. Oh, bless <laughs> him. Oh. We love Fitzroy. I think I love him even more now. Oh, yeah. I mean, Evan is the coolest. I mean, he's he's so um, he just wants to go out all the time. Um, and like whenever the new cast members would come, you know, he would want to meet up with them. Um, like we we I had a big thing about at the start were you know just trying to get everyone together. So when we when on the I think it was the first weekend before we started shooting, we had all the guests cast in. We went out to this really nice restaurant. And we stayed out late. And Stuart paid for everything. I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. And it was like, there was like 16 people and it was like an expensive restaurant. And um, we all just really bonded from the start. We would meet up and tell stories. And um, I'm, um, I love playing this game called Heads Up. I don't know if you've ever played that. Yeah. Like, and I would do that. Um, sometimes it would distract the actors a little bit. I know it was, a, but it, it created a really fun atmosphere. Um, 
And uh, Evan w- was really fun at that. And we would go out and, you know, a few of us and go drinking. But yeah, he loved it when, when anyone knew would come, especially someone younger, he would take them out and show them all of the city and he explored everywhere. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's so great to work with. Oh, we, we do, we do adore Fitzroy. He's, um, we, we want to protect him at all costs. He's just got great comic timing as well. I mean, that, yeah. that, it's that scene where he, you know, he's, he's, uh, talking to the Duke and he kind of turns and bumps into the door and stuff. I mean, he, I got into that like, you know, eight, nine times and he never complained. And, you know, he's, you know, he, he sort of, he's, he's like putting in your hands. He'll like, he, he's, he's very, um, uh, compliant if you've got suggestions, but he also, you know, he starts to have some really good ideas as well. So, you know, he would suggest something and it was like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. And, and then, you know, Rachel was happy with everything. So yeah, we, we, you know, he's really invested in the character. And just from his very first read, because, you know, we saw him on a tape. We didn't get to meet him first. And, uh, you know, I didn't know he was Irish. I thought his accent was very good. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, what, what was important on the characters was, was just not to make him a complete buffoon. Is that he had to start off like a bit of an idiot. But then, you know, you had to sort of care about the guy and, you know, sort of believe that, you know, he's, that Duke is molding him into this stronger policeman. Um, and I think, you know, down to um, Rachel's writing and, and Evan's uh, skill, you know, that journey definitely comes across. And again, that continues into series three. So uh, there's lots more to look forward to there. Oh, amazing. I'm going to love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So moving slightly away from Miss Scarlet and the Duke, um, you directed a, a, or have directed a number of episodes of um, the UK drama Casualty, which I guess I was trying to figure out how best to describe Casualty for our American friends who probably have, haven't seen it. And because um, it, it's quite a long running show, because I remember it from, you know, when I was a child and my dad would never, ever watch it because he just it was too realistic. Yeah. But it's basically, I guess, a drama set in what the, our American friends would call an ER, but we call in the UK a casualty of a hospital. Is yeah. that kind of how you describe it? Yeah, well, my, my first uh, when I first met for it, uh, for casualty, I, I said, oh, casualties are Western. And they said, well, uh-huh. you I said, well, because the, the ED is like the, the town and Charlie is like the mayor and Noel, who, who's the receptionist, was like the bartender. Um, and uh, Dylan is like the undertaker. And they're all these kind of great archetypes. Um, but, yeah, it's a sort of a, it's, it's a long running medical drama. Right? Um, and I've, I've been on and off on the show um, for about 11 years now. And I've done some really big episodes. I crashed a helicopter into the hospital once, which was great. That was wow. So the 30th um, anniversary episode, which was really amazing. Wow. We did it practically. We swung a helicopter in off a, <laughs> a couple of cranes. Practically. Yeah, it's uh, the, the only CG was the uh, the rotor blades. It was like it was amazing fun, um, and it's it's a really great show to work on because um, the cast are so great. I mean, and it changes every now and again. Obviously, you get new doctors and nurses who come through, but um, they're just very supportive and. Uh, you know, I think they like what I do because I keep getting asked back to do the big episodes and to be asked to do the, um, the coronavirus episode was a real honor because, um, you know, we were, we started shooting that right in the middle of the pandemic. We were one of the first, very first shows back and, uh, we had this amazing script and I was, I was lucky enough to be involved a little bit earlier. So I got to f- feed in some ideas into the script and, um, yeah, it was, it was a really, uh, emotional shoot, um, for everybody. Um, and yeah, we won a bunch of awards, which was great. But the thing that was even better was, um, had dozens of people who I don't know reached out to me on social media and would, uh, who worked for the NHS or people who had lost people, um, to the virus who said, said, thank you for getting it right. Because, you know, Casualty is a really fun show and it's a sort of, it's a different show than when we, than we watched it when we, we were younger, I think, because, you know, um, but I think it, it, it's, it's, it's moving back towards that sort of slightly, Harder tone, but a, a, a bit more grounded, I think. Um, and a few months ago, I did an episode which um, was all improvised by the actors. Um, all the dialogue was improvised by the actors just to create a really grounded tone. Um, and it, it takes chances. Um, and even though it's been gone for all these years, they still come up with these kind of amazing ways of telling stories. Um, so, yeah, it's a really fun show to work on as well. So you seem to work a lot with new, the new generation directors. Um, you like to encourage them. So is it mentoring an important thing for you to do? And what advice would you give to people who would like to get into directing? Uh, yeah, I, I, mentoring is, is hugely important for me. I mean, I, I uh, mentored uh, directors on shows that I've worked on. I've also 
um, teach newer actors um, about, you know, tips and tricks that they can do to kind of get into the business and how to sort of um, to stay there. Um, even at the weekend, I was teaching um, a class of about 30 people, newer actors. But for directors, yeah, I mean, look, you know, I, I never had anyone give me a hand when I was starting out. And I, I'm doing it because I, I would have liked someone to have said, uh, this is a good place to start, you know, and do this and don't do that. Um, and, um, you know, technical stuff about what you can do and who to reach out to. Um, and, you know, I I have a lot of directors and also actors reach out to will say, uh, will you watch my show reel? And, and, you know, I always do because, you know, the very least you can do is respond. And even though you might say it might take me a week to sit down and watch, um, watch it, but I always give honest but really friendly feedback because there's no point in me just saying, Everything's great. You know, people, if something um, needs to change or to be worked on, then you let them know, like, you know, it's it, your showreel doesn't need to be 15 minutes, you know, or, you know, your um, clips are too long or this is your strongest clip. And um, with newer directors, yeah, you just sort of, there's a sort of um, some of the, the shows in the UK, like Doctors, where I started, um, or Hollyoaks or some of the soaps are a really great place to get started. Um, but it's tough to get in there because, there are so many people who want to be directors and there's only so many slots in a way. We're a lot, we're a lot like actors. You know, there's, um, you know, we go for meetings and sometimes you get the job and sometimes you don't. And we all kind of get all upset when we don't get jobs and sulk. And, and then other times you're, you're jumping through the, the, the ceiling because you, you know, you get a job on something amazing. But yeah, it, I think it's good just to let every, all of the other directors and the new, newer directors know that, um, you know, that we all go through this, um, and that it is tough to get started. Um, and anything, I, you know, I can do advice or write a recommendation, um, or just, just happy to help because, you know, we're all in this together and we're not here for a long time. So, you know, let's all, you know, it's, we, we're stronger as a unit. So, you know, some people are going to get the jobs more than others. Um, but I, I just believe that, you know, we, we should all be one big team. Definitely. Um, so going back to Miss Scarlet and the Duke. Uh, you've directed four episodes of season three, which, as we are recording, we have not seen at all. Uh, it's uh, it's due to come out in the US very, very shortly. Without giving away any spoilers for those who haven't seen it by the time we put this out, what can we, the fans, look forward to? There's, um, it's a really enjoyable season. And over the four episodes, the, the mysteries are great. Again, you know, the, the, the plots, there's, there's, um, some, there's a new character who will be introduced. I'm sure some of you are aware of, um, that may upset some people, but also it's, it's, it, I think it's a really piece, clever piece of writing from Rachel that um, will divide some fans, but also I think some fans will, uh, really embrace this character. Um, and, um, it's a really, it's an emotional roller coaster again, the series, and we've got some, Great, uh, comedy. We've got some great, um, you know, scenes with, um, Eliza and the Duke. I think that the fans will really, uh, enjoy, um, that they've enjoyed on the previous series. Um, and it just heads to a, such a, a glorious climax, uh, at the end, um, that, uh, I really think fans will, will love what happens at the end. And I'm, and that, it may not be what you expect. Maybe it will. I'm not going to say, but, it's, but it, it definitely ends on a note where I, I can, you know, I imagine people again will be screaming at the TV for, for series four. Can't wait. All right. So with each podcast, we ask fans if they have any questions for what we're going to talk about. So here are some fan questions. Georgina on Facebook says, you film more than you need. She would love to know how you decide what scenes you get to use or not. We always um, we always tend to shoot a little bit more than what we need because um an average episode, I think an episode of Miss Scarlet is about 52 minutes for the American version. Um, and normally what we'll do is when we start shooting, um, we have a script supervisor or a continuity person who will go through and come up with a sort of a rough idea of what the, how, how long they think the episodes are. So you always generally want to have about 10, 10% more um, scenes. So um, what you'll do then is you'll get at times so it's about 57 minutes. So you'll shoot that. Um, sometimes it's not an exact science. Sometimes it goes up a little bit. Sometimes it comes down a little bit. But generally, then what will happen is um, you'll get into the edit and, you, you know, you, you want to take some of the air out of it because we love the actors, but they do love those big pauses sometimes. And you sort of want to move it along a bit sometimes and keep a, a fast pace. So by the time you've squeezed a bit of air out of it, you've probably lost three minutes without losing any scenes. And um, it's very, very I can't, I can't even really think of any scenes that we ever drop, really. It's. It's such a kind of tight um, 
uh, script that there's not really a lot of fat in there. So um, generally, if something doesn't add to the plot, um, you know, then it tends to go. Um, I'm sure there are some smaller scenes that tend to get fall by the wayside, but generally everything we shoot just gets compressed rather than scenes getting dropped. So Sally from Facebook, um, she actually, shout out to Sally and to Sabrina who sent us an absolute ton of questions and hopefully <laughs> over the course of this podcast we've we've managed to cover all of them. But one of the standout ones which I also have this question is how does the editing process work? Uh, how much collaboration happens between the director and the writers and who gets to choose what goes into which length cut? So um, I um, would work with um, um, my editor, um, um, Owen, who was based in Ireland. And um, because I'm based here in the UK, um, I, I would edit remotely. It's like on a Zoom call or like a Teams call like this. So I would see his the output from his edit suite. And then um, he's edited all of the scenes off his own back. So as I said, what, what we shoot on a Monday, he edits on a Tuesday. Um, and then we would get like an assembly at the end of the week of, of, of his pass on the scenes. And I like to let the editor just do their pass without giving too much information. You know, you, you want to let them feel their way through it. Being an editor as well, you know, you, I don't like to get notes too early. And then I would get three days at the end of, um, well, it was nine days in total for the three episodes. I get three, three days to basically uh, go through and what we call fine cuts or director's cuts um, each of the episodes. So we, um, I would watch what Owen's done and then I would say, uh, I'm not sure of this transition here or let's change the sound effect or uh, let's move this around. We restructure things sometimes slightly. So I, w- I would uh, do my pass on it and then we send it then to Rachel who then, um, uh, and then I move on to the next episode. And then um, after I finish my, th- um, my three days on each episode, Rachel then gives the editor notes and then he makes Rachel's notes. Um, and then Rachel, fe- I think the other execs would feed into Rachel um, and then the channel give a few notes and then that's it. It's, it's quite a streamlined kind of process. There's not lots of different things. Um, but I think, I think it's probably Rachel who's the one who gets to say what goes into uh, the, the final say into the episodes. Carla on Facebook asks, what are some of the benefits and challenges of filming the walk and talk scenes? You can tend to do the walk and talk scenes pretty quickly. Um, and it, it's, you know, it, it looks great because... There's just movements there, you know, in reality, you know, of course, there are scenes when you're a bit more static or sat down. But, you know, we're often on the move and, it, you know, we get to sort of move through the sets and uh, choreograph all the background artists. You can get through it qu- quicker because in a scene where, say, say, it was a two page scene between Duke and Eliza and they were talking in an office. You know, you probably want to do like a wide shot and sort of a couple of mid shots and then some singles. What's great when you do um, the kind of walk and talk like the West Wind type shots is that, you know, you choreograph it in a way. It's going to make sense why they're walking. You know, they can't just be arbitrarily kind of walking somewhere. But so you can have them walking and then someone can go off and come back and just try and make it feel like um, there's there's some movement and reality, the way people would move and talk. Um, and we've got some really good wanners. We call it like a wanner um, in series two as well. Um, but, yeah, it's it's they're fun to shoot as well because it's sort of like a bit of theatre involved as well, because sometimes people are moving kind of props in the background and then dressing them in at the last minute and stuff. So, um, you know, when you tend to finally get it, everyone cheers and you watch it back and it's like, hey, that looks great. But yeah, walking talking shots are really fun to do. And finally, uh, for the fan questions, Callie from Instagram has asked, how many takes does an average scene take? And even if it's great in one take, do you film extras just in case? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, um, uh, I've got a saying, I would say one more for safety, because um, mm-hmm. e- even when we get what we need, I always just do one more. Um, because, you know, when you're working with such brilliant actors, they, you tend to get what you need on the first take generally. But, you know, you don't want to kind of, sometimes there are, you know, we never have any very rarely, but sometimes there are technical problems with the, with the, um, the footage that we get. And if you've literally got one take of it, you've, you've got nothing to edit into the show. So it's always good to do more than one. And also, you know, um, I'll say to the actors, you can have a free swim. You know, we say that when we're growing up, it's like, you know, you'd be in the swimming pool, you can do whatever you want. So not that they can literally do it all suddenly in a Welsh accent and, you know, swing from the walls, but but you could sort of say, you know, you, you can, and sometimes you get some really nice little kind of moments that kind of come out of there where they lean on things a little bit more. Um, so yeah, I'll always tend to do um, one more than I need at this time. But, you know, normally you would do, um, you know, I tend to get things in generally two or three sets, uh, two or three uh, takes um, and then you move on to something different 
you know, you, ne- you normally would start wide on a lot of scenes, so you'd start like do a big wide shot first so that the DOP can light the space in the room, and then the closer you get in, um, you then, um, you know, you spend more time on the close-ups because the wides generally you'd only use at the beginning or the end of the scene. And if you're doing a really big emotional scene, um, sometimes, you know, I'll start on that. We, we, there's a really big emotional scene in Series 3, I'm not going to tell you where it is, but I started on the close-ups first because, you know, it was important for Kate to sort of get to where she wanted to and, and not to sort of spend her amazing energies, you know, on wasting it on a wide shot. So, you know, every scene's different and every actor's different and it's a director's job to sort of to figure out, you know, who needs what. Okay, I have a fan question for you. Right. Who would win in a fight, William or Nash? Uh, William, <laughs> because there is an amazing, uh, there is an amazing scene. Uh, again, I can't give you any spoilers in in uh, in, ser- in series three, um, where you get to see how tough Nash is because um, he used to b- b- box for County Wicklow as he boasts. Oh, um, and um, you'll you'll get you'll see an amazing kind of sequence. I think it's in the last episode. Um, and, uh, but yeah, w- William is, is, you know, he's, he's uh, a brick wall, um, with, uh, with a cool accent and a smile, you know, he's, he's so tough. But then, you know, I, I don't know, Nash is so wily, he probably would, um, do something in advance to sort of trip Duke up because, you know. That's where my thought was. I would say, I was going to say he was throwing dirt in William's face and he would, he'd be sneaky about it. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it was, Duke would play by the rules. Oh, completely. Yeah, he's he he he'd have his old uh, English, um, you know, box things. Like we, you know, that was another scene that I also really enjoyed shooting was the um, the fight scene in episode one, um, where he goes up to the loft and finds the uh, the jewels and that that fight scene. Um, you know, because you know, I, I I absolutely love shooting action sequences and I really love shooting emotional scenes. Um, they're the most fun for a director to do. Um, and you know, because you get like an immediate response when you see it because something physical like that, it's fun and it's you know, it's it's hard to shoot, and it's it's um, uh, and then it's also it's great when you're doing um, a really big emotional scene. Um, you know, when Pete, you know, I've had I've shot scenes where like the crew are crying, and it's it's you get it, you, you feel like you you've done what you came there to do. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, I think I think um, possibly uh, Duke. Um, I still think Duke on, on pure physicality, but maybe uh, Nash would be so. Uh, Sneaky uh, with his little um, little moustache and uh, his cane, <laughs> uh, which, which comes into great use in series three. Yeah. Uh, that he uh, hates that moustache. She doesn't. <laughs> like it. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So it'll have to be a best out of three for mm-hmm. William oh, and Nash. Oh, completely. But then, if you want to see um, how um, Moses handles himself, you mm-hmm. can see that in That's series what I'm three. I'm looking forward to. Oh yeah, no, you. I'll just say I'm a big so, Moses you know, fan. On, on, on episode one of series three, uh, if you're a fan of Moses, you're going to absolutely love that episode. That's there what you I'm go, Amanda. That, that, that's yeah. you uh, signed up to PBS Passport. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Take, my the money. Take my money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it has been a pleasure. And sadly, we are at the end of our questions for you, Steve. But it was so, so much fun chatting with you. Well, thank you very much for having me. I mean, I, I as a fan of the show, I, I listen to this podcast and read all of your tweets. And that oh, as well. my God. <laughs> I always hate when everybody says, we listen to you. I, I still don't believe that people listen to us, Lindsay. No, <laughs> no we, we, cause we, we, we care what you think, you know. So, like, and, and like, you know, being a, a separate fan as well, you know, like I, um, you know, I think it's it's so good to be a fan of stuff. Like, I'm a fan of other stuff and that, you know, we, it's great. I think it's really, I think Rachel and Patty really like the fact that we, try and be as open as we can without giving too much away because, um, you know, we're fans of things ourselves and, and that's, you know, there's nothing better than when you've got fans on a show that you're working on um, because, you know, we, we want, you know, we do it for you, for you guys and that yeah, you might not always get everything you want, but you, you, um, you know, you'll enjoy the ride and maybe you'll get what you want further down the line. So um, yeah, just keep being fans and, and the show really appreciate uh, the show really appreciates you guys. We, well, we, we do appreciate all the work you guys do. You've done an amazing job with season two and we cannot wait to see season three. And hopefully when we do get to see season three, you might like to come back and and have a chat with us then. Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd love to be able to sort of uh, give you more secrets and and open up a (laughs) bit more. Definitely. There's there's lots of great stuff in uh, in series three. Uh, You know, there's some really enjoyable episodes and that's, you know, um, 
everyone's really excited about the final episode. So, um, yeah, I hope you guys really enjoy Series 3. I'm really proud of it. Yay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, Scarlet Tears fans, if you haven't found us, search for us um, on social media at Scarlet Tears Podcast Facebook. Um, we have a page and a group, Scarlet Tears Podcast or Instagram, Scarlet Tears underscore podcast. We're there to chat and gossip and bump off Betsy. Hint, hint. Um, <laughs> um, that's her latest fanfic challenge. You should. Uh, yeah, it's getting very dark fan. over here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just join us for some fun chats. Um, thanks, Steve, for joining us. We really appreciate it and had a fun, super fun time. Um, so Scarlet Tears, join us again next time. We'll have a fun, fun chat um, on episodes four, five, and six. So listen to us next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Scarlet Tears podcast. Music by Kevin McLeod. Incomatech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribute 4.0. License HTTP colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by forward slash 4.0 forward slash.